0: Source of true delight my unseen ado Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more Oh that I might love thee more You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. Before we come to the reading of God's Word, just wanted to let you know in case you didn't get the uh, news this week. I was in Colorado when I got it, but uh, so I, was, I don't know if you could hear the shouts of joy from up there, but Cynthia Scott actually went home this week. Um, and we're just amazed, yeah. It's just... <laughs> I, uh, I spoke to one of the ladies that had given her CPR at uh, the school that day. And it was amazing because she said, we just did what we were trained to do. It was hard. She said... The whole time we thought she was gone. She was gone, but we just kept doing it and kept doing it. But we thought she was gone, and they fell into tears afterwards when she left. And that's what saved her life. (laughs) Just praise God. Praise God for His goodness. I've told so many people, it was like this one hour of her week that where she was it saved her life and then it, it hit me one day week and a half ago if she hadn't been involved in ministry she, her life wouldn't have been saved isn't that interesting if she hadn't been mentoring a child uh, it's just fascinating <laughs> the Lord is fascinating so we rejoice uh, Adrian with you and your family and praise God <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, as a congregation, we just pause to thank you. Lord, what a personal kindness to us that our sister has been brought back like this. It's not only that family, but all of us, Lord, we thank you. We, I think of that phrase from Lewis, speaking of creation, where he says that When we taste some goodness in creation, we know we've been touched from the right hand of God where there are pleasures forever. And so, Lord, we know we have been touched and we're humbled, Lord. We know that you could do whatever you choose. And we know, Lord, that your love would be displayed in any and every circumstance as we've seen again and again. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. praise you for your mighty deeds. We praise you for such a providence. We, We praise you for every single thing that has led to this outcome. And continue to pray, Lord, that you would strengthen Cynthia and fully restore her. Above all, Lord, will this whole event draw all of us after you. May it humble us. May it cause us to trust you more. May it cause us to dedicate ourselves to you no matter what happens in our lives. Oh, Lord, bless us with yourself in this, Lord, with yourself. And now bless us as we come to your word that we may grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll turn with me, please, to page 965 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. But Second Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're actually going to spend the next several weeks in this section, one of the most, you know, you always hate to say, well, this is a, a glorious section, as though there aren't. You know, as though every section is not glorious. And you don't need my opinion. Or, hey, I think this is a really good one, you know. Um, but it is just such a glorious section of God's Word. And this morning I'm going to speak basically from one topic. It's more or less the first point of, of several that we'll deal with in this passage. But uh, it's not what's listed in the bulletin. But uh, the glory to end all glory the glory to end all glory. Paul has been talking about his ministry, the ministry of the new covenant, and he begins in verse 7 talking about the old covenant in contrast to the new. And it's rather shocking because he calls this old ministry, the ministry of Moses, the ministry surrounding Mount Sinai, as the ministry of death. We'll look at that a bit today in increasingly in the next few weeks. But notice the contrast that he is painting, the contrast of glory between old and new. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more with what will what is permanent have glory. The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The glory to end all glory. I don't know about you, but if I saw somebody's face start glowing, I'd freak out. Especially imagine if you're camping out, several guys. One guy leaves the firelight of the campfire, and you look up, and you can't even see a body yet. All you see is a face lit, floating through the trees, it looks like. I would run... And run, I would run till I found a cliff and I would run over the cliff on purpose. Because I'd rather face death than to figure out why is this floating lit face coming at me uh, through the trees. <coughs> so it's understandable that as we read in the Old Testament, uh, the people of God, when he came down with a glowing face, they were afraid to come near him. Even Aaron, his brother, the high priest... He had to coax them to come. Well, they were braver than me. I would be out of there. This was glorious, and they had been seeing a lot of glory. When we say glory, we simply mean the God revealing His greatness in some way. They were seeing unique displays of greatness and glory. They had seen God launch. Ten successive plagues against the Egyptians, systematically dismantling the nation like a sandcastle being destroyed by waves. That's what God did to Egypt right before their eyes. They had seen God create this dry land bridge in the midst of the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross over. And then, as they say in West Texas, uh, shutter down on the Egyptians. God gave them water out of a rock. I've just been in the Rocky Mountains. And so here, a Rocky Mountain stream from a rock in the desert. And he gave them some kind of bakeable flower like substance that just appeared on the ground every morning to eat. It was God's version of a Red Cross truck in a famine. But he did it every morning for 40 years for a million people. That's a lot of Red Cross trucks. You've seen a half a dozen people in a movie, you know, moving through a dark cave and somebody's got a torch in front. Well, here's God going before his people in a huge cloud by day. And then this cloud turns into fire by night. And it's as though God has this huge torch and it lights the whole place so that a million people can find their way. Times Square in the desert they had seen some glory and then Moses shining face when he's in the presence of God like a star has been taken up residence in his head set up shop in his head however paul says here that in the light of the glory of jesus christ all that glory doesn't even look glorious anymore the glory To end all glory. He says in verse 10, it has come to have no glory at all. Now, at night if we come home uh, and we've not left the front porch light on, perhaps we left that morning, didn't get back to that night. It's as you would expect. You get out, it's dark, kind of can't find your way You've got to step carefully. It's a little foreboding. You know, I still have that sense sometimes of in the dark who could be coming out at me. And then you're fumbling for the key. And then if the light's on, it, it's all different, of course. You know, I can see everything. It's warm. It's like the light itself is saying, y'all, come on in. It's great in here. You know, just, just that one little 60-watt bulb. But in the daytime, it can be on all day. We never notice it. It's just It has no, no bearing on the situation in the daytime. And that's the feel of this passage. When the full light of Jesus Christ has come, the former light has no bearing anymore, so to speak. It, it has no glory in comparison. It's the glory to end all glory. For instance, think of Jesus at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, Um, When they came to Jerusalem for this feast, they they lived in makeshift houses to kind of imitate Israel in the wilderness. And one of the rituals that was done was a golden pitcher was dipped in the pool of Siloam every day and it was poured out uh, at the temple. And the priests would announce uh, from uh, Isaiah 12, with joy you will draw out water from the wells of salvation. And it was a picture of the water that saved them in the wilderness. This water, day after day, for seven days, this ritual occurs. And on the eighth and final great day of, oh, well, thank you. On the final uh, and great day of the feast, the Lord Jesus stands up and he says, If anyone thirsts against the backdrop of, This ritual and the rock that poured water in the wilderness. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Water out of a rock? Let's talk about rivers of living water bursting forth from your heart forever and people being changed around you because of the new life in you. Eh, not much comparison there. Not much comparison at all. Manna every day for 40 years. And in answer, we just point to that bread right there. That bread represents, of course, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself in the place of sinners. And through this sacrifice, we're forgiven of all of our sins and brought into intimate fellowship with God forever. Let's see, bread for 40 years, intimate fellowship with God forever. (laughs) One glory that just completely puts out the other glory. The glory to end all glory. And how about the shining face of Moses? How about, as Paul describes here in verse 18, the shining character of God, his own glory, it says, from glory to glory, we are being transformed into that image. How about that glory spreading out around the world in all nations as people show forth the character of Christ versus Moses' shining face? The glory to end all glory. So, when Christ comes revealing the glory of God, in a sense, you can't even see the lightning on Mount Sinai anymore. In a sense, it's just put out by the blazing sun of Jesus Christ and you can't hear the thunder on Mount Sinai. It's drowned out by the cry of Jesus on Mount Calvary when He was bearing our sins. And He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can't hear the thunder anymore. I just hear that cry of Jesus bearing my sin. This glory puts out the other glory. And I think of Moses showing up with his shining face and in the light of Jesus Christ. We're like, Are you wearing contacts? <laughs> just not so huge compared to the glory of Christ. Uh, As many of you know, I served on the board of RYM Ministries, uh, RYM Reform Youth Ministries, for several years, more years than I like to think. Um, You know, it's sad when you can say I've served somewhere for 30 years and used not to be 30 years old, you know, but that's long gone. We sponsor conferences for high school and junior high kids. That's where I just was in Colorado. And a year ago, we settled on this topic, the glory of God. Um, and in the materials that we send out, we have a blurb about the glory of God. And halfway through that blurb, it says this, after beginning to talk about the glory of God, but the glory of God shines in its most stunning brilliance in the giving of his son. And the guy who preached this week, Richie Sessions, just zeroed in on that. And I love the phrase, he said, after describing something about the glory of God and creation and his providence, then he says, "God, the word here as the expression and revelation of God. And he says, this word, that formerly he says, made the world that was God, that was with God and was God. This word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only but the only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So the glory on a mountain is one thing, but the glory that has come in flesh and blood is a whole different thing. And Matthew Henry in 2 Corinthians 3 says, On Mount Sinai, God was above us and against us, and now in Christ He is with us, Emmanuel. That's a glory, isn't it? A glory that ends all glory. And he puts it well above us and against us. I mean, God said there in in Exodus 19, if anybody touches the mountain, he is dead. If even one of your animals that is associated with you touches it, it's dead. Think of the contrast of that. And a baby born in a manger, a real human baby in full identity and intimacy with his people. There's such a contrast that the early heretic Marcion thought, you got two gods here. (laughs) He had two different gods. And he cut out the whole Old Testament and some of the new and had his own little version because he was so struck with the difference of those two things. What Paul says here of the surpassing glory. But you see, the one prepares us for the other. The one declares to us the depth and seriousness of our sin. And the other declares to us the depth and seriousness with which God took that sin and how, and how he dealt with that sin on our behalf. In his own son. And so, Paul actually calls Mount Sinai... This ministry of Moses, in a summary statement, a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. We'll look at that more fully. But just the dark, foreboding Mount Sinai versus Christ, the approachable, accessible one, even the Samaritan woman having gone through five failed marriages, and now living with another man, she found forgiveness and new life, talking face to face with the God-man Jesus Christ. Could there be a greater contrast? Could there be a greater statement of the greater glory, the glory that ends all glory? And Paul calls the ministry of Christ, not of condemnation and death, but it's a ministry in this passage of righteousness and a ministry of the Spirit. In this ministry, we are so joined to Christ that He takes on the responsibility and the punishment and the judgment of our sin. And He bears that sin away so that we can be forgiven of that sin. And we are so joined to Him that His righteousness, we are united to His righteousness and we are accepted and intimate with the Father We are admitted permanently into the embrace of God. And we'll never be taken out of that embrace. It's a ministry of righteousness. And then it's not just us coming against the law and the law declaring how far we are from that law, but the Spirit being poured into our lives to transform us so that we can begin to live from the heart the will of God. It's a ministry of righteousness and a ministry of the Spirit And it is by that Spirit you see, he says here, the Lord, the Spirit by which we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so, this glory that ends all glory, it's what we're celebrating this morning in the Lord's table. We're celebrating in this... You might say, house in this feast, not this house, but this house of the people of God, in this feast at the table, is the greatest glory in the world. The greatest glory in the history of the world. The greatest manifestation of God in the world is represented in this supper. The glory of God Himself humbling Himself, taking on the form of a servant, the God-man in a towel the night before He went to the cross, washing His disciples' feet as a picture of His servanthood. How He's going to spend Himself for our benefit. How even He humbles Himself for our good. It's the strangest glory imaginable. It. it it blew every category. Nobody could have imagined that God would do something like this. And that's why in Philippians 2, as Paul describes his not holding his equality with God a thing to be grasped, it's not the hiding of glory, but it's the unveiling of the majesty of such love, of such humility. The glory is ironic. The glory is upside down, it seems, because the glory is shown in the God-man Jesus Christ in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, trembling, becoming unraveled at the thought of bearing the wrath of the Father. There's glory for you. But He did it nonetheless because He loved us. Love. 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 He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. This is a glory that brings us forgiveness and acceptance and fellowship. A glory that brings God near to us. A glory that assures us of His love and purpose in every day and event of our lives. A glory that brings new character into our lives And we are actually told one day that we will share that glory. Why, the actual word that Paul uses for the final act of his redemption in our lives is glorification. What? What glorification? Read it in Romans 8. I ain't lying. And brothers and sisters, this glory is more precious than anything else in life. This strange upside-down glory in which we die and we are happy and spending ourselves for the glory of Jesus Christ. This glory in which we are made humble and broken. This glory in which we embrace one who died. And we count him as Lord of all because he was raised from the dead and he's at the right hand of God. But it means that in the worst of circumstances, in the greatest tragedies, we still live in glory. We still live in glory no matter what happens to us because we are in fellowship with God. And that's why in some ways the outward blessings of the Old Testament that were meant to be a sign for the kindergartners until the time of full maturity. When they're suffering, even though there was much suffering in the Old Testament, but now the suffering is legend and it's spread throughout the whole earth and it's after the pattern of Jesus' suffering and He calls us to that suffering because now we're mature kings and queens of the Holy Spirit. And He might do anything to us. And ultimately we don't care because we're living in the glory of the presence of Jesus Christ. A glory that surpasses all glory. A glory that ends all glory. And one day we will live in the glory of the fellowship with God. And be conformed to the character of that glory. Let me read the words to hymn 469, one of our favorites How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors, while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. It's it's a picture of the feasting of salvation with the people of God. Obviously, it can have direct reference to this outward symbol of that feasting, this, this main feature of our celebration, the Lord's Supper. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send your victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. We long to see your churches full, that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing your redeeming grace. If you've never seen the glory of Christ, we didn't read this section, but we will get to it. Paul describes it in part by talking about the veil over the Jews' eyes so that they did not see the glory of Christ. But he puts it even more graphically in chapter 4, talking about the God of this world, Satan, blinding the minds of the unbelieving so that they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so just one word to you, if you're an unbeliever, if you're casual about Jesus, if you're kind of shrugging your shoulders about this whole Christ thing, I urge you to consider that it is the only glory that you're made for. It is the only glory that satisfies a human being. It is the only glory worthy of the name. And the only reason you or I would not embrace it, is we're blind. We're blind. We don't have a capacity to see it, to embrace it, to love it, to give our lives to it by nature. But oh, how glorious that this God, this God of power and glory will shine that light into your hearts. He will reveal Christ to you. Ask Him to. Ask Him to. Paul says that's what happened to us. The same God that said, let there be light, has shone into our hearts so that we could see the glory of Christ. That's not of your doing. That's not something you make yourself, get yourself in a position and change your life so that you can see the glory. It's something he does for you that you cannot do for yourself. Now, you can be like Zacchaeus, and this is good, where Zacchaeus climbed up a tree to get in the way of Jesus, okay? Okay? So come and worship with the people of God. Read the word of God. Discuss the word of God. Expose yourself to Jesus. Climb up the tree and be in the way of Jesus with the people of God. and He will reveal himself to you. He says, seek, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Because he will find you. <laughs> Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise your name for the Glorious revelation of God on earth in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for painting this incredible backdrop of the foreboding mountain in which the law was given, revealing to us our sinfulness and our separation from you because we are so unlike you. And then, Lord to give us Jesus Christ, to come to us in the flesh, to bear our sins, to bear the sins of your people before and after, Old Testament, New Testament, to bear the sins of anyone who will trust in you, to so give yourself to your people and unite yourself to us that Lord, your righteousness becomes ours and we are clothed in it and protected by it and sheltered by it and always accepted because of it. Thank you, Lord, that you, the God-man, intercede for us always for our good. Thank you, O Lord, that you are at the right hand of God above all power and you rule the whole of history and creation for the benefit of your people, not that we may be kept alive necessarily, but for the benefit of your people that we will become more and more like you and more and more instruments of light in the hands of Jesus Christ and that we will know you and value you and trust you and praise you more and more in our lives. Oh, Lord, this is glory and it cannot be taken away from us. There is no circumstance, not one, that can interfere or that should interfere with your people's taste of your glory. Oh, we thank you for the glory that ends all glory. We thank you as that simple song says that nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Oh, Lord, nothing compares to the promise we have in you. We bless your great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian.